Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Hello, my name's Sophie. I'm going to read Revelations 3, 7 through 13. To the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews that they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you know so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write to them in my new name, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Man, this has already been such a great morning together. You know, whenever we gather together on Sunday, it's like a family reunion and uh, a weekly family reunion. And I'm, I'm always just blown away at the type of people that God reaches. Uh, here in our little worship center this morning, there are Republicans and Democrats worshiping together. There are, there are young babies and people who are close to the sunset. <laughs> but as we were singing, I, I, I had to actually go up, get up partway through our worship and go to the bathroom. And as we were singing and I was looking out among the people gathered here, uh, and I was, as I'm smelling the smells coming from the food downstairs in our potluck, I began to write down um, some of where we come from. And I might be missing some, so if I am, please come talk to me afterwards. But we have gathered uh, in our church family this morning, uh, represented these nations. China, the Philippines, Uganda, Kenya, Guinea, Equatorial Guinea, Haiti, Mexico, Colombia, Puerto Rico, Germany, Burma, the United Kingdom, Malaysia, Guam, and then we have some friends visiting us today from Poland also. It's about 15 nations that are represented. We've been walking through the the book of Revelation, just the very beginning of the book of Revelation, the first three chapters. But in chapter 7, there's this image of heaven that kind of gets shared, a preview of what we have to look forward to. And it says this in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. This is the part I love the most. (laughs) From every nation, tribe, people, and language, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This morning, I felt like there's a little preview of that. All these nations gathered, even singing in different languages, and we're not done yet. I am so grateful to be here. Social media is a funny thing. This morning I was reminded of social media, Facebook in particular, um, my memory seven years ago today. My family and I moved here. We were driving across the state from Spokane, and I am so glad that God brought us here to be with this beautiful, diverse family. So we're going to continue on in our, in our series as we've been looking at the book of Revelation and I want to ask you just kind of an opening question. Think of a time where you found yourself in a place where you were a bit uncomfortable. In America, we say out of your comfort zone. Maybe it's right now. I don't know. Maybe somebody invited you to church and you're like, yo, I'm not a church person. This is not my, this is not my space. Maybe for you, it was something different. Maybe it was the very first time you went camping. I mean, is there anything more uncomfortable than camping, right? Or maybe it's every time you go camping. Maybe it was the, the first time you found yourself in a different environment. Like, I don't know, just for example, you grew up in Northern California. You're a diehard 49er fan. And God moved you to the Seahawks practice, you know, where they practice, right? Oh, man. I remember for me, I grew up in a, in a pretty small town in Northern California, about 25,000 people. And uh, our youth ministry went and did a, sur- a whole week of service in inner city Chicago. Very different environment for me, totally out of my comfort zone. Many of you, as we listed the different nationalities and and nations represented in our church, coming to America was definitely outside of your comfort zone. Or if you as an American have gone to another country, there's people drive on different sides of the road, they drive differently, they eat different foods, they have different customs. The reality is, is that whenever we're outside of our comfort zone, We don't really like that. It can be stressful. It can be exhausting. And that's why as soon as we can, as soon as we get back, we run to the things that make us feel comfortable. All that hot shower after camping, that suburban home, that familiar food. As we've been reading these letters that were written to specific churches 2,000 years ago, we've been reminded that following Jesus almost always takes us out of our comfort zone. The early church, think about this, as they began to follow Jesus, all of a sudden they couldn't participate in the idol worship that was all around them in those cities they grew up in. They weren't going to follow the sexual norms of the day anymore. They weren't going to bow down to Caesar. And so this new way of living, this following Jesus guaranteed that at the very least, life was going to be uncomfortable. And at the most, they might lose everything, even their life. And so it's no different today. Following Jesus today means that there will be, not might be, there will be areas of our life where we find ourselves sticking out, a bit uncomfortable, or even at odds with the culture. Yesterday, I had lunch with a a pastor who's originally from Bhutan, and his family were refugees and in Nepal, 
He essentially grew up in a refugee camp in Nepal. And during his time as a refugee camp, he had grown up Hindu. He had some Christians in the refugee camp, some fellow Bhutanese refugees, come and share with him the gospel. He eventually responded to the gospel, and it changed his life. And, and as a result of that, Hindu has a caste system, a hierarchy of order. He found himself essentially pushed to the lowest part of the caste system, ostracized from his people because he had chosen to follow Jesus. Does it get more uncomfortable than that? I don't think so. Um, I had the privilege of, of going to Nepal. And I remember years ago, uh, the very first time I went to Nepal, uh, interacting with with believers that had rejected Hinduism and become Christian. And one of the things they also had to reject as part of that following Jesus is they couldn't participate in the customs and traditions that were linked to false gods. One of the, the key traditions in Nepali culture is how you greet each other. And it is, it is intimately tied to uh, false beliefs, to, to Hinduism. And so Nepali... Um, Citizens, uh, just part of their custom, they will put their hands together like this, and they will say, maybe you've heard this before, namaste, and they will bow to each other. What, is, what does that mean? Namaste means I, I bow to the God in you. And it, was a, it was a pagan practice. And so all of a sudden, Christians go, we can't do that anymore because there's only one God. What do we do? So I remember interacting with these Christians, and they said, what we do is we put our hands together, and we say, James C., which means God be praised. Now you can imagine, though, that was a little weird. <laughs> Those Christians are probably seen as a little weird in Nepal. And so we've been walking through these letters, and what, we've, what we're finding is that as the believers, be, they, they, as these people commit themselves to Christ, as they gather together, just like we're gathering together today, they were facing opposition and hardship and challenge. It was very uncomfortable. So we are on the sixth letter today, and all of these letters were written in Western Turkey. So we started with Ephesus, then Smyrna, then Pergamum, then Thyatira. Last week, Alex led us to Sardis. And then this week, we're going to look at the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Philadelphia. So if you have your Bibles, Sophie just read the passage. But we're going to just walk through this letter here briefly this morning. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. This is Jesus writing, dictating this to John. These letters are being recorded. Um, so just like, just like these cities, we might ask the question, okay, where is Philadelphia? Um, I did some, a quick Google search because I wasn't sure, and it looks like it's between New York and Baltimore. <laughs> I did a little more Google searching because I was like, okay, we've, we've looked at the idols that are kind of present in some of the churches before. So what are the idols in Philadelphia? There was this, I found this statue. It's a guy named Rocky. Um, and um, like the, the pagan arenas that they had in like Ephesus, apparently Philadelphia has one uh, to the Eagles. Lots of people gather there, so probably a difficult place to be a Christian in Philadelphia. I heard they have really good cheesesteak sandwiches though too. So No, I'm just kidding. Philadelphia is actually just below Sardis. So there's kind of like a circuit. If you can imagine, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, these letters were being circulated among these cities. So Philadelphia, ancient Philadelphia, which means what? Does anybody know what Philadelphia means? City of brotherly love. 
was actually named after a, a leader named Philadelphus. It's 30 miles southeast of the last city that we looked at last week. Today, it exists, and it's known as Alashir. There's ancient ruins from uh, biblical Philadelphia that are found in that city. Philadelphia actually is built on a fault line, so there's massive earthquakes back in the day. Um, because of that, it's volcanic soil. It's, gr- it's good for growing grapes, which is still done today in Alashir. This church, as opposed to some of the other churches that we've read, uh, there's been this pattern where Jesus will say, hey, here's some things you're doing well, and hold up, you got some issues. I'm going to point those out to you because I love you. I want you to, to endure. I want you to be faithful. The church of Philadelphia, there's no rebuke. There's no correction. And so today, as we read it, we might ask, okay, what, if they're doing things right, how can we learn from them? And so as Sophie just read, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, opens up with Jesus' words to this church. The angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, if this is your first time with us, the book of Revelation has been misused and misunderstood for a long time. And it's because so much of the imagery that is used in that book is tied to the first century, number one. And number two, it's actually tied to uh, Old Testament biblical understanding. Many of the Christians uh, were Jewish believers, So they had the Old Testament. They knew what the Old Testament said. They were steeped in it. And so Jesus, when he addresses them, often uses Old Testament illustrations to connect with their current day. So the very first illustration we see here is this idea of an open door. What does that mean? The imagery of a key and an open door. Jesus is referencing Isaiah chapter 22. In Isaiah chapter 22, God is, through the prophet Isaiah, speaking against a corrupt ruler named Shebna, who is in rebellion to God and his ways. And so through the prophet Isaiah, it's declared that a man named Eliakim will take Shebna's place. And so Isaiah 22, this will sound very similar to what we just read, says this, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So when the church in Philadelphia received this letter, they immediately go, okay, we get the connection. We get what's going on here. This has to do with authority. Eliakim was given that authority by God, and here Jesus is stating that he is the one who has that authority. No one else has the authority to invite people into or keep people out of the kingdom of God except Jesus. So the church, even though it has little strength, has held true to the ways of God in the face of hardship. And so this letter, in this letter, Jesus is telling the church that the door to heaven is wide open for them. This is a good pronouncement. You are doing well. You are heading in the right direction. When God came into the world 
through the person of Jesus, it signaled a dramatic shift for humanity. Where once there were outsiders and insiders, now anybody who had placed their faith in Jesus are invited to walk through this open door. This is why Jesus himself said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. In Hinduism, there's this idea that um, like kind of any road can lead to God. Pick a God, any God, you'll get there eventually. And if, if God is on the mountain, there's many trails to get up to it. Christianity is so different than that. Christianity is God came down off the mountain and he showed us the way. One way through Jesus Christ. So this is, a, this is the imagery that the Old Testament, or that the, this church would know based on this Old Testament imagery. Jesus has the key. The door is open. There's a second Second imagery that's being used in this letter. In verse 9, we see these people within the city of Philadelphia that are labeled as a synagogue of Satan. It's like a church of Satan. This most likely references Jews who were opposed to the early Christians. So much like Pastor Hem here in the Puget Sound, who when he became a Christian was was pushed down to the lowest caste in his society. Many of these Christians now, because they're following Christ, are being, are being pushed to the outside by Jewish believers in that city. So like for the church in Ephesus, there's a marginalization that's happening. But Jesus promises that they will see, those that are opposing the Christians, will see that who they are really opposing is God himself. Which is why he says this, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. This is actually a universal truth for all that would say to any believer like, oh man, you, you're headed in the wrong direction or you're an idiot for believing that. Or One day there will be a type of vindication where all who have rejected Jesus know, oh, they were right. Jesus is real. And so this imagery of a synagogue of Satan, I think it can be translated to a lot of different scenarios that we maybe have found ourselves in as believers in Christ, when we're opposed, when we're marginalized for wanting to follow the ways of Jesus. So then Jesus moves into a promise. He says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, as the rest of church history unfolds, we look at these letters and we go, wait a second, hardship doesn't cease for this church. In fact, persecution will happen for them. We have later historical writings that show some of the believers of this church in Philadelphia would actually die for their faith, along with some church folks from the neighboring city of Smyrna, one of their leaders, Polycarp. So what did Jesus mean when he said, I will also keep you from the hour of trial? As we read the rest of Revelation, we see that that phrase, inhabitants of the earth, is symbolic of a way of differentiating those who belong to the kingdom of God and those who don't. Those who belong to the world and those who belong to Jesus. So I believe that what Jesus is saying to this church is that even though, yes, they will experience suffering and hardship, they don't need to fear the judgment that is coming. 
the separation that will happen from those who belong to God and those who don't. Their long-term home is in heaven. That door has been opened. Their place is secure. I started out asking you about times that you've been out of your comfort zone. Let me use a similar idea. Um, Think with me about a time that you had a kind of disorienting experience. Maybe you were uh, walking around South Center Mall for the, for the first time, and after a while, you, you forgot what exit you parked at. <laughs> didn't even realize what wing of the mall you were in anymore. You were what? You were disoriented. You didn't know which way to go. Think of a disorienting time. Maybe you've had uh, a disorienting relationship. You thought you were super close to someone, and then all of a sudden, they start treating you different making demands of you, or just not talking to you anymore. All of a sudden, what is going on? There's confusion, and you're not sure. When people place their faith in Jesus, they sometimes go through a similar disorientation. For the first Jewish Christians in Philadelphia, they faced this. They placed their faith in Jesus, and all of a sudden, they were on the outside of culture. The ways of Jesus they found weren't as compatible with culture as they once thought, and now they have to live differently. And so they face this disorientation in culture as well, where this particular culture, especially in in Western Turkey in this time in the Roman Empire, all gods are cool except yours. That Jesus thing? No. We We can't accept that. We see this a little bit more increasing in our culture, too where there's lots of tolerance except for. And they, the believers face this disorientation in their workplace as well. Oh, you're not going to make money off selling trinkets for idol worship anymore? Come on now. Come on now. It's not a big deal. Just, it's, just, it's just for your livelihood. Just make a quick buck off of it. You don't have to worry about how your faith interacts with it. So this is what the the church in Philadelphia was experiencing, this disorientation. They go, okay, well, now following Jesus, I get it, but what does this look like? I'm sure you felt this way before too. Following Jesus means, this idea of repentance means a change of mind, a different direction. And so you're going, Jesus, this way, and it's not the way I was heading before. It's different. Following Jesus means there's this, there's this new, actually really restored morality that is not always in agreement with the culture's definitions of what is good and profitable and beneficial for you. Following Jesus means there will be times when we have to choose faithfulness over influence, faithfulness over making money, faithfulness in all areas of our life. And so you can see how this new way, while full of truth and new beginnings, can also be disorienting. It can be draining of your energy. It can be discouraging when you feel like, I thought following Jesus was supposed to make life easier, and it feels harder. And so Jesus is acknowledging this. He says to the church, I know that you have little strength. I get it. But then he affirms where they are. He says, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. 
I'll be honest, when I first read those words, the first imagery in my head is of some quiet little Christians hiding a Bible, whispering, Jesus. They're just holding on quietly, not rocking the boat. But the reality is the church in Philadelphia didn't just internalize the ways of Jesus. They lived them out. Look at these words again. I know you are what? Your deeds. You have kept my command. They're living different. You have not denied my name. That means what? That they're actually sharing his name. And then he says, hold on to what you have. They didn't just internalize their faith, but they lived their faith out. So what does it look like for us today to follow their example? Here we are today. This letter that started circulating among the churches in western Turkey has made its way to us in Renton. And like the church in Philadelphia, we're confronted with some similar things. So here's some questions we can ask, some reflection questions. I encourage you to think through these. What idols are demanding that we honor them? What things have we set up or are set up in our culture that are saying, you need to honor me. You need to celebrate me. You need to tell others about this. What idols are demanding that we honor them that are not compatible with the ways of Jesus? What gatekeepers are demanding we give up the ways of Jesus or risk being marginalized or shut out? Maybe this is coming through your workplace or through your school or through your family relationships. The ways of Jesus aren't compatible. If you continue that way, you're going to risk losing something. And then lastly, and I think this is really appropriate as we head into an election year, but what political powers are promising us things that only God has the power to change? I'll tell you what, we really need to think on this one as believers right now. Following Jesus means that there will be, not might be, there will be areas in our life where we find ourselves sticking out, uncomfortable, or even at odds with the culture. I might even go as far to say if you've never felt like that, you may be just internalizing your faith and not living it out. Now we need to be careful, don't we? Because some things we do in the name of Jesus that have nothing to do with Jesus. That's why we need to reflect a little bit. But there is a, a demonstration of that following. So today, we may, be, we may feel like Philadelphia. We may feel tired and weak. We may feel tempted to run back to what is comfortable and easy. But Jesus' words to Philadelphia bring hope to the Puget Sound. If you, this morning, are disoriented or uncomfortable, Jesus' closing words to the church in Philadelphia are meant to reorient and give us peace despite our circumstances. As we close, let's look at this together. This is how Jesus ends this letter to Philadelphia. You're tired and you're weak, he says at the beginning. 
I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is not a a declaration of, of be quiet, hide out. This is a declaration of victory. I am coming soon. Hold on. Not hold on in fear, but hold on in victory. I am coming soon. And so the church in Philadelphia just didn't just internalize the ways of Jesus. They lived them out. And that was why they were dealing with opposition. But it's also why Jesus commended them and gave them the assurance of their future. In many ways, opposition is a sign that we don't fit comfortably in with the inhabitants of the earth with this world, but we belong to another kingdom. And so may we be a church like Philadelphia, where our faith is evident by our deeds. May Jesus say of us that we have kept his commands and not denied his name. And church family, let's hold on. Not in fear, but in confidence that what Jesus has promised to those who love him is good and true. Amen? I'm going to have the worship team come up, and we're going to close with a song that echoes this kingdom identity that we have. Let me pray together as we prepare our hearts. Father, thank you. Thank you for the tribes and tongues and nations that are represented in this room that just confirm that what you started has continued and it is only by your power. Thank you that we are a church, much like the church in Philadelphia, that exists only because of your spirit calling us to you, revealing your truth and your grace. And Father, as we live out in this world, may we hold on not in fear, but in victory. May we keep the commands. May we be known by our deeds. And may we love those all around us, Father. God, as we reflect on the things that are not compatible with following you, would you lovingly convict us, challenge us, Lord God. We might follow deeper in love with you and follow your ways. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for these people gathered in this space at this moment, called by your name. As we sing this last song, God, may it not just be a customary thing we do, May it come from our hearts, worshiping our great God. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.